I'm going to start a, it's a sermon that's going to be split up in two. And I don't know when I'll preach the next one because I haven't told Pastor Alina that. She schedules the preacher. It will not be next week. Uh, next week is Father's Day, and I'm just going to wait for a, another time. But I'm going to start this sermon. And the title of today is Don't Accept a Copy When You Have Access to the Authentic. Now, all of service during worship, it's not like I planned it, but a lot of the songs really centered on His presence. And I feel like God is wanting us as a church just to get back to basics, get back to grounding, return to our first love. And to me, that's a place in Him, in His presence. But what we don't want is a copy. You know, in a lot of legal applications, businesses, governmental things, you know, they won't accept a copy. They want the original. They want the authentic. You know, on the surface, a copy appears to look the same. But if you look at it in detail, you'll begin to notice that it's a little blurrier. It's not quite as crisp. The color may not be exactly the same. It may be just a little bit distorted. But how many know that every day people are actually trying to perfect the counterfeit? It's the same in the church. Someone is always attempting to counterfeit the authentic. But if you have a trained eye, you can still call out a fake for a fake. We must have a trained eye. See, many, many years ago, I can remember, I was taking a trip uh, to Arkansas. I'm not uh, born and raised in Texas, but I got here as soon as I could. <laughs> My family hates that I say that, but it's just true. Because I'm like, I'm going to go home. They're like, no, no, your home is here. I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, my home is Texas. But my family home is in Arkansas. So I was going uh, to visit them, and it probably was Christmas. That's usually what I do. Um, I was going to visit them, and it just so happened that before I left for the trip, I had to get a new driver's license. And I think I was going from Arkansas driver's license to Texas. And so the trip was, was coming up, and it just so happened that the original, the actual driver's license, had made it in the mail yet, so I had a copy of it as a printout of the paper. So uh, this was before the days of GPS and for iPhones. You guys remember MapQuest? You'd have to print it out and take it with you. Look, I'm terrible. I, I don't know if, if, if uh, I know a lot of the people in the room uh, were at Cammie's wedding. Cammie just, just got married. And I, I was her man of honor, one of the men of honor. And I was talking about the time that, that we were, I was on a trip with her. And we went to Dallas and I got lost. Look, I am avidly known, I don't think that's the right word, but I'm, I'm avidly known for not being the best at direction. She speaks north, south, east, west. I'm, I'm due right, left, turn at the block, that kind of thing. Don't speak a foreign language to me. So, but it just so happened that I had this piece of paper. I'm driving to Arkansas. I realized that in the middle of Little Rock, I had missed my actual turn, which <laughs> kind of happened a lot. So I'm, I'm driving, and all of a sudden I see a sign that says Memphis, and it hits me. And I'm like, wait, I'm not supposed to be going towards Memphis. I have to go towards Highway 67. So I, I decided, okay, I've, I've made the wrong turn. I need, I need to, to get back. So, of course, that means when I turn around, I'm naturally speeding. So I get pulled over. Okay, well, it was from the get-go this guy didn't like me. He walks up, hand on his sidearm, uh, probably because I just, I think I just brought a new truck, so it had temporary tags, and then he comes up and he says, can I see your driver's license? When I say, he did not like the fact that I handed him a piece of paper would be an understatement. He looked at it and he goes, well, I don't know what they do in Texas, but this doesn't work here. So needless to say, I got a ticket. So a copy isn't always acceptable, Amen. <laughs> A copy doesn't always work. Hardly ever does someone want the counterfeit or a copy. They want the authentic. Amen? 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 7, Paul warns Timothy in a letter, and he tells him, verse 5 says, holding to a form 
of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such people as these. Pretty harsh. For among them are those who slip into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. A form. It's a copy. It's trying to replicate something that it doesn't actually have relationship with. See, a copy is the appearance of relationship, but actually the word denied there means it's estranged, having once had a relationship, but no longer is in the relationship as it once was. We should avoid the copy. See, we are a presence-focused church. Now, what that doesn't mean is we abandon his principles while in pursuit of his presence. See, I think that's where most people tend to get off balance. They forsake his principles in pursuit of his presence. See, if we're truly in pursuit of his presence, his principles cannot be separated from his presence. His principles or his presence is his principles. There can be no separation. If we look at the word that the Hebrews used for presence, it did not mean a feeling. Now, I know that around here we say, ooh, I feel his presence. Yes, we do. But if that's the only way we relate to him, we are doing a disservice to who he fully is. See, the word very specifically meant his face. Now, the Hebrews, when they said his face, what it really meant was what? If I see someone's face, I'm in close proximity to them. I can tell you what they look like. I can tell you the features of their face. I can tell if they're upset. I can tell if they're concerned. I can tell if they're happy. See, that meant there was a close and personal relationship and encounter with the Almighty God. His face we seek. His face we look after. His face we long to be in. See, I can't speak of your face if I've not been close to you. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. See, he's always been a personal God. He didn't just wake up one morning in the New Testament and decide to have a new personality. The Bible says he was, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, and the Hebrews understood this to mean we must be in his face. And he is a God who is in our face. See, it goes both ways. See, from the very beginning, Let's go back to the beginning, amen? Let's go back to the time when we first surrendered our hearts, when we first fell in love with him, when we enjoyed everything about him. From the beginning, God made himself known by what? His presence. God came down to man and revealed himself. Now, he's God, and he could have kept his presence for himself, but he chose to reveal himself to mankind the greatest gift ever him himself his presence intimacy relationship see he chose to reveal himself but his presence doesn't just mean i feel good hear me if we reduce his presence to when i feel good we are missing out on who he fully is see his face brings illumination to our lives 
There's that worship song that became real popular this past year. I'm sure most of you know The Blessing. It was written by Carrie Job and Elevation Church, and it just exploded this year, and it's no surprise to me why. I mean, the world faced a major crisis, and I believe God breathed upon that song in a time when people were feeling hopeless, but this song, the words of it, brought hope. Now, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the song, and you know that the lyrics come straight out of Scripture. If you don't, you will now. Number six declares, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Well, that's strange. Make his face shine upon you. What does that mean? Well, his face, as we just learned, means the illumination of him, his presence, who he is, who he reveals himself to man. His face shine upon him. So when the Hebrew would recite the prayer, just like when you and I recite the same thing today, when we speak that over our lives, what we're really doing is we're asking the Lord to bring his illumination to our lives. See, we desire his light to shine upon us. Just like if you and I went into a dark room, I had a flashlight with me, but I chose not to turn on the light. At some point, if we want to see ourselves, and we want to see what's around us, someone's got to turn on a light, amen? See, what happens if we don't use the light? We stumble around in the darkness not knowing what is around us. Light exposes two things. One, it reveals your surroundings. And number two, it reveals yourself. Very important things. See, that's why even in this room we have emergency lighting. If we're in the middle of service, the lights go out. We have emergency lights that, that flash on. Why? Because we don't want to stumble around in, in the darkness not knowing where we go. They come on so that we're able to see our surroundings, where we are relative to what's going on, and that's so we can be able to safely exit the building. See, what does Scripture say? Look at Psalms 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But in order for me to see, there must be a light. So I've got to decide whether to use my flashlight or stay in the dark. See, illumination can only come when I use the flashlight for its intended purpose. I choose whether there's light or whether I remain in the dark. We need his light, his presence, more than ever. This world is only going to get darker. But have hope and have faith. We, his people, must shine brighter than ever so that we can be, as the Bible declares, a light in the darkness. Amen? There's this thing that I've been, I've been seeing, and, and it's probably because I'm on a lot of social media, but they label it progressive Christianity. Now, I don't know all of progressive Christianity, so there may be some things in there I, I might agree with. But what I've noticed is what they call progressive Christianity is nothing but demonic. It is actually a very severe perversion of the, of the Scripture. I saw someone yesterday, they were saying that Jesus didn't die for our sins. He died because the people were so upset at him because he was trying to advocate just to love. 
that is a perversion of the Scripture. He died for man's sin so that we could be redeemed and, and live in eternity with him. See, we've got to look out for the fake, for the copy. We've got to be in his presence to know what his presence is not. Because if you think you're smart enough on your own to figure out what's true and what's not, I'm here to tell you, you've got to have a level of discernment as never before because there are things creeping into the church and they are mixing themselves with Scripture, but it's a perversion and people are swallowing it whole. Why? Because the world is influencing the church. And the church is, was born to influence the world, to have an impact, to have an effect. See, there's no way to fully explain his presence in one message. I could never do it. Probably all the messages I could ever preach would never fully encompass all that he is. But what I want to do is start a conversation that we have that we can meditate on what God wants in our lives and what things that we are doing that is a copy of the original, and we need to get that out of our lives. He is wanting us to be in a new place and to raise a new standard among us. Amen? See, we want to draw close to him and remain in relationship with the authentic, not a copy. Not a form, not something that has no power to transform. See, the real gospel has the power to transform our lives and our hearts, and we will never be the same. I can tell you without a doubt, when I truly met God on a GJ meeting one night, God changed my life forever, and it was the power to change me. Anything other, if you go around having no power in your life to overcome the enemy, I'm telling you that is a form of godliness and it's not the true gospel. The true gospel breaks the yoke and the heavy chain and sets the captives free, amen? Now we may not be seeing it, but we need to get back to the basics so that we can see it in our lives and that our light would shine brightly, amen? Don't make me yell at y'all. I grew up Pentecostal, I could kick in any moment. I hate the fact, I was, actually it's a good thing we're not streaming live because I would be embarrassed. My uh, uncle was a pastor um, for many, many years. Uh, he was an Assembly of God pastor and he would get fired up and those tongues would come out and that knee would come up and it would shake. And I mean, I loved it, but I can't do that. That's, I'm not going to copy him, okay? I may be an imitator, but I'm not going to copy we got to be an original. Too many people trying to copy someone else's anointing, copy what someone else is doing, copy someone else's gift, when really God has your own individual anointing, gifting, talent, ability, and you need to go with what he's given you. I was just early on decided I don't want to be like that person. I love that person, but I don't want to copy what someone else does. I want to be an original. I, it's, it's been a prayer my entire life. God, I don't want to copy someone. I see all of these pastors and these preachers, and, and they, have, they have mega churches, and, and they speak so eloquently, and I could get in a clue, well, that's how you do that. Oh, that's how a sermon should go. That's how you, you should do this, you should do that. But it is a trap that the enemy wants to get you in where you accept a copy and not the original because he has formed and fashioned you by his hands, and you are uniquely and individually called, and he has an assignment on your life. So stick close to the source. See, his presence isn't just some invisible force that we feel. It's not a Jedi. It's not some mystical thing. I, I know there's mystery wrapped up in God, but it's not mysterical. See, his presence is just something we feel. Ooh, I felt that. Ooh, I got goosebumps. Your goosebumps may be the air conditioner that just hit on. I don't know. 
But we can't equate his presence to just how we feel. Our feelings lie to us moment by moment, minute by minute, and we've got to kick our emotions to the door. Now, he uses our emotions, but when our emotions outweigh what the Spirit is saying, therein lies the problem. See, his presence, it comforts, it heals, it brings peace, it gives direction. In his presence, there is fullness of joy, there is strength, there's blessing, there's mercy, there's grace. But also his presence exposes sin, convicts the heart, it corrects, it rebukes. See, we must associate his presence to truth and not what just makes me feel good. Well, I'm just happy in my bad attitude. Okay. Well, I just don't feel like that's what God has for me in my life. Well, if it's in this book, then my advice to you is to do it. And if you don't, my advice is to get out. Because he doesn't want people in the middle being confused and then spilling a bunch of garbage that isn't true. The garbage that I see on social media breaks my heart. The twisting of people's minds and lives. The enemy is out there to kill and destroy. And this generation is swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. But for the church. But for his presence. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a doomsday person. I know things in the world only get darker. But there is a light that will shine brighter. There is a light that will, will overtake the darkness. See, the darkness is in fear of the light. And that's why the darkness tries to remain on the earth. And the darkness will not prevail because the light has come. His presence will overshadow. But I do want to say this. The presence of hardships of difficult seasons, of things not going your way, does not mean an absence of His presence. See, in Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord made a promise to His people concerning His presence. And it's the same, pre- the same promise that, that applies to us. Deuteronomy 31.8 says this, And the Lord is the one who is going ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not desert you or abandon you. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. The Lord himself goes ahead of you. That same word that where they say ahead of you in the Hebrew, it's the same word that they use for face. It's his face that goes before us. His presence, his countenance, all that he is, his character. Everything that he holds, it goes before us. See, he's always in front of you, ahead. If I'm looking at someone's face, that means I'm looking in their direction. I'm not looking in my direction, my feet. I'm not looking at the person behind me. I'm not looking to the side. I'm looking at what lies ahead. I'm locking eyes with the one who gives the direction. See, he says, I will be with you. There's a promise inside of the actual promise. There's, there's things that he says, I will, I will go ahead of you. I will be with you. He's a companion. He sticks closer than a brother. I will never leave you. It means he's not going to abandon you. The word that they use there describes someone who's hard at work, but they just are going to finish the task, but they're not going to relax their hands. They're not going to lay it down. He is active and working in our lives. He doesn't grow weary. He's not going to drop his hands. He's not going to relax in working out our lives. He's never going to be idle in your life. 
He will never abandon you, forsake you. Means he's not going to leave you in the condition you were found. See, too many times we think God just wants to save us, and he does, but he also wants to set us free. See, he delivers us out of something and into something. He wants to not only heal us, but remove the stain, that, that, that the weight of sin in our lives and the choices that we've made. He wants to heal us from that where we are truly white as snow. Out of and into something. Not just out of, but into something. Into him. Into his presence. So if I could really wrap that little part up, I would say God is saying, don't fear. And in the words of Ariana, who sings with us, I got you. She's always saying, I got you. I got you. Bro, I got you. <laughs> Hebrews 13.5 says this. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you. Now, I don't normally disagree with the translation of a particular Bible, but there's something about this scripture that just irks me because I think it's a, it's a disservice. And I don't know, maybe if I studied it, I would figure it out. But just on a, a quick look, there's nothing in there about money. The interlinear, it says this, live without covetousness. Now, what is covetousness? It's you desire something so bad that you actually want to take it from someone else. Like, it's, it's not good enough. I'm, you could say, oh, I really like a nice car. No, no problem. Oh, I like that particular style of car. But when you think that person doesn't deserve that car, but I do. See, that's covetousness. You want something so desperately that you're willing to take it by force from someone else. So live without covetousness. Live without it, your manner of life. Being satisfied with the present, he himself, for has said, never not you will I leave, nor never not you will I forsake. Here's what the passage is really saying. You live your own life. Let me be enough and don't go looking outside of my presence. I am always with you and will never abandon you. We are called to be people of his presence. His presence is the promise. And in the promise is his presence. It's himself. He offers himself. Don't accept a copy of his presence. Because of the faithfulness of God and the obedience of Abraham, like the Israelites, who God declared, you shall be my people, we too receive the same promise. In Exodus 3.17, God says this. God, he makes a promise of something greater. He says, I will bring you up out of the land to a place. He doesn't just want to set us free, but he wants to remove the heaviness that sin brings on and brings you to a place. I said it just a moment ago. He wants to not only just save you, but redeem all that you've done. I won't go into the details of my very bizarre life growing up before I knew the Lord. I was always full of shame. I was always full of rejection. And so I brought that into my relationship with Jesus. But see, he has a better plan. 
See, and if we yield ourselves to him and we dwell in his presence, he removes the very stain, the very mark that, that shame or guilt or condemnation leaves on our lives. He doesn't just say, oh, what, you're free from that. No, he brings you to a point of healing where you can truly live in a place of freedom. So he brings you out of, but into a place that's with him, into his presence. See, he has so much more to offer than just to remove you from sin, but to bring wholeness to every part. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So God gives a name to a group of people who had no name. He gives them an identity. They become a nation set apart. We are given his identity. We become a nation inside of ourselves. We are set apart for his good pleasure. He chooses those. Listen to this. Chosen doesn't mean, I know that some people get into this like you're a pre-chosen. I think what God is intending here is that we're all chosen, but we have a choice to make if we want to live in the relationship with him. He extends that all the world would be saved and come to a saving knowledge of him. But it's those who hear his voice and, and yield to him are those that come into relationship with him. See, he made a promise to them. One, that they would be his people and that they would live in a great land. See, he calls you out of and into. This goes much beyond just saying a sinner's prayer. You can say a prayer and, yes, be saved, but live wholly unaware of what he wants to do on the inside of you. He truly wants you to walk in a place of freedom, but if the enemy can convince you he doesn't, then you will stay the same way you were. And God's intention is to not leave you where he found you, but bring you to a new place in him. I mean, if there's ever been a time, and yes, this applies to us today, but the lost just seems so lost that they're going to need so much freedom. And we've got to be able to provide that for them. Now, we don't, we're not God for them, but we definitely can bring the light to them. We can definitely lead them to the source. We've got to get the things of our life squared away so that we're able to help those who are in need. There is a lot of darkness, and we are called to be the light. And so to be the light, we must dwell and remain in his presence. In his presence. Psalms 37.23 says this, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. See, the roadmap is already laid out for us in his word. His word tells us how we are to live and conduct our lives. See, we are to allow for the transformation of our hearts and the renewing of our minds, just like the Bible says. The question becomes, do we follow the path laid out before us, or do we want to follow our own ways. Do we want to try and make our own copy? You know, our copy may fool a lot of people. We can come to church. We can sing a song. We can lift our hands. We can shout amen. We can shout hallelujah. But God knows the heart. So the choice is ours. The creator, the original, the authentic can always detect the fake. Scripture says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But that doesn't stop every cult, 
that copies him and every person that follows the cult from trying to replicate what God has said. The occult is nothing but a copy of what is actually true, trying to pretend that they have the truth when they are living in darkness. There is but one way, one way, but somehow, some way, we end up determining that our way is just as good as God's way, and we want Him to call our ways His ways. Wrong. He cannot agree and align with your ways. It must be His ways. It is His way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. See, you will not succeed in your attempts to copy or to alter God's prescribed way. Although we attempt it and sometimes we look like we have fun doing it, but it will not be as successful as you think because one way leads to life and one way leads to death. Amen? The Bible is full of stories where a man, time and time again, tried to make their ways God's ways, but utterly failed only, thank, thank you, Lord, to be rescued and to be redirected. I thank God he's in the refurbishing business and he's in the reformation business and he wants to redeem all that is lost. See, God doesn't hide the messy stuff in Scripture. There are things in Scripture that we may not understand that may not compute to our modern way of living and God leaves himself out there to be misunderstood, but he puts those mistakes out there so that we can see the example of what not to do, how to avoid the same failures. See, we don't have to repeat the mistakes of, of the past or, or take the missteps, but sometimes it looks like we do enjoy it. I don't really know why. See, those accounts are in there to help us see that we too can get off course, and yes, there is grace, but Scripture isn't only supposed to comfort us in our mistakes. Scripture is intending to lift us up out of and into a new place. Into a new place. The second part of Psalm 37 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Translated, we are to take joy in the manner in which God leads us and not grovel and complain as the Israelites did. We are to enjoy the walk with him, the process. See, God grew so tired of the Israelites complaining that he called them a bunch of whiny, spoiled babies. Now, maybe that's my translation, but God had Moses correct their behavior by saying, you're an obstinate people. This was not a compliment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story. It's not my story. I'm actually stealing it from, from Cammie. I know many people have probably uh, already heard it, but there was an email going around back in the days when she worked for a scientific a, uh, laboratory company that supplied product and uh, equipment to scientific laboratories. Um, I believe there was an email circling around uh, that everyone was passing around. They were very proud of the job they had accomplished. However, they misunderstood a word in the email. Uh, the email contained the word stymied, and they were very proud of themselves. And it wasn't until someone said, that's not a compliment, did they understand that they were actually getting chastised. So God was not paying the Israelites a compliment when he said, you're a bunch of stiff-necked people. He was saying, you are stubborn to the core and unwilling, unwilling to be turned from your ways. See, they made a choice to do it their way, unwilling to be turned. That means I'm going to look this direction, but God is saying, come here, but I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to stiffen my neck. You know, that's how people are uh, when, you, when you come up to them and, and, and you try to redirect them, but they don't want to be redirected, well, they, they just stand real still. They're like, I'm, I'm not going to be moved. I mean, 
God was saying, you are making a choice to do it your way. See, but the problem is their hearts were so clouded with their own way that they lost focus of the cloud that was guiding them. God's presence stood before them day and night. As a reminder, he was with them. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's what Exodus 13, 21 says. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way. And in a pillar of fire by night to give them light. So they might travel by day and night. Let's look at a pillar of cloud. Now, this was no ordinary meteorological cloud that you see in the sky, okay? You and I have never witnessed this kind of cloud. See, there had to be something unique and marked about this cloud. See, something must have identified this as a different than the ordinary. His cloud was a visible sign that led the way. The people knew, follow the cloud. The cloud signified movement. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud settled in a place they knew, that's where they knew to set up camp. Just by the movement of the cloud, they knew whether to stay, whether to pack up. They, they could tell where the, the placement of the cloud, whether it was going to be one day, one week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, a year. The cloud determined where they would go. And we must follow his cloud in our lives. If he says stay here, we stay here. If we move here, we go here. We must always follow the movement of the cloud. Now, God's not a cloud. Okay? He's not a cloud. But the cloud was the reassurance that he was with them. See, all they had to do was look up. There he is. He's still with us. The cloud represented him, his presence. See, we can still follow the cloud. We too don't follow an actual cloud. But we remain, we dwell in his presence. When he moves, we move. When he stays on a subject, we stay on a subject. We don't need a cloud. What we have is better than a cloud. It's his Holy Spirit on the inside of us. That's all the marker we need to be able to follow him. His presence is on the inside of us. He guides us from the, from the inside out. He used to guide them from the exterior in. Now it's inside out. He's on the inside of us. He leads us by his spirit. The, the, the cloud was a type and shadow of pointing to something greater. We know that to be Jesus. It was his presence that, they, that he wanted to guide them by. We must return to the place of dwelling in his presence and being led by him. See, the Israelites coming out of Egypt, they were coming out of a place of bondage, had no sense of direction. Or they didn't know how to get to where God was leading them. But the cloud gave them direction. See, the cloud led them along the way. Go here. Turn here. Stop at this place. Move to this side. He still desires to lead us in this way. The cloud represented that he was always with them. He will never abandon us. See, the cloud offered shade and a refuge from the hot sun. And at times it actually stood between them and their enemies. So you can imagine an enemy that's deciding to attack him, but all of a sudden they see a cloud. They don't know where the people are, so it actually pushes away the enemy. God wants to block us from the enemy's tactics if we just stay in his presence and allow him to be our shield. The cloud reminded them, I am with you. But they were too busy building their own cloud. I'm going to build my cloud here with doubt unbelief, 
mistrust, rebellion. I'm going to build my cloud with the things that I think are necessary in my life. God, I know what you've said, but I'm going to build my own cloud. And eventually their own cloud got so big they couldn't see the cloud that was supposed to lead their way. See, building your own cloud, it blocks him from you. Building your own cloud is what leads you to disconnecting from God. The Israelites always found themselves in trouble when they began to disconnect themselves from the promise by what? Disobeying the promise maker. Their life was full of disobedience. They were led by a pillar of fire. Again, just a reminder that even in the darkness, his light shined. The fire would light up the night sky, which would bring illumination to all of them, their path. They were able to see where to go <coughs> excuse me, and what to do. Isaiah 61 says this. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isaiah 9-2 says this. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. Man, if we ever needed the light of the Lord to shine upon a land, to expose the hidden things and those things that are in the dark, it is now. Come on, we need to stick to his presence. We need to stick to the original. We need to not accept any form of a copy. We need to ask the Lord to search our hearts. And if anything in our lives is, is, is a form of godliness, but it's not the authentic, actual gospel, we need to get that out of our lives as fast as we can. I'm going to end with this. Philippians 3, verse 7 through 10. Philippians 3, verse 7 through 10. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, no copy, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If somehow... I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He gave us himself, not a copy. Don't accept a copy. Amen. Stand with me. Next time we're going to talk about cutting off the flesh. We're going to deal with two brothers, Isaac and Ishmael. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we desire to dwell in your presence, God. Lord, we want to abide in you in all of our ways, God. Father God, I ask you that you would just search our hearts. And if there's any area in our life, God, where we've, we've made a substitute, where we have, we have made a counterfeit, God, that we have believed a lie, God, and we've embraced that as truth, we ask, God, that you would reveal that, Lord. God, we want to cut away every fleshly thing, Lord, and only allow what is true, what is right, what, what, is, what is of you, God, to remain in our hearts, God.
Father, we want to be pure standing before you, God. We don't want to have mixture in our lives, God. We don't want to be double-minded, God, but we want to get back to the basics, God, of dwelling and living in your presence, God. We want to be a people of presence, pursuing your presence and living and dwelling where you are, God. We want to abide in your presence, God. Father, we ask, God, that we would not get our, our eyes and our minds off on other things, that we would not build our own copy, that we would not build our own cloud, God, and, and therefore not be able to see you cr- truly, God. But Lord, we ask, God, that you would actually expose the things that we have accepted as truth, God. Only your presence, Lord, can truly bring exposure to those things, God, which are not of you. And so we pray today, God, you begin a work in our hearts, God, that we would see with all clarity the things that you are saying, God. And we want to be in your presence, God. We want your marvelous light to shine in our lives. So, God, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen us, God, that we are a priesthood, God, and that you go with us, God, and we just want to remain connected in you, God. God, we bless you. We love you. And all the people shout amen.